0: Hey, everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. We got a bunch of very cool stuff to talk about, so let's jump right in. First up is a post from Nicole that talks about the Vectrix and the PyTrix. And I absolutely love this post. If you are a fan of the Vectrix, I strongly recommend reading through it. And if you have no idea what it is, I couldn't think of a better introduction to the platform. The short version is the Vectrix is a vector-based CRT arcade system from the early 80s that everything is contained in one box with a controller that plugs into it. The PyTREX is something I've talked about before that uses the power of a Raspberry Pi to tap directly into the processing and the controls of the Vectrix. So essentially what the PyTREX could do is replace the CPU of the Vectrex with the PyTrex just by plugging in a cartridge. Now, I'm oversimplifying all of that, both because I'd already talked about the PyTrex on a previous podcast and because Nicole just did an absolutely awesome job going through it. So this is a strong recommendation for anybody that is interested in this stuff. Um, I've always kind of been fascinated by the Vectrex because it's just really neat. It's you know, just this one unique console that no one's ever really done anything quite like it before. You know, There's arcade machines that are vector-based, and there's certainly all-in-one arcade machines that are home-based, but never anything like this. So uh, definitely give this one a read if you're interested, and thanks very much to Nicole for posting it over here. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video about a reverse-engineered Game Gear motherboard, and the video contains a short interview with the creator as well. Now, before I get any further into this, I want to put up a big disclaimer at first, in that while I think this project's amazing, and I'll get back to that in a second... This motherboard will require you to desolder the proprietary Sega chip off of a single ASIC Game Gear, because that's the motherboard revision that was reverse engineered, and you'll also need to desolder the two-player port, or the link port, and um, the cartridge slot as well. So two of those three are aren't too bad, but the ASIC chip is probably something I would say is expert only but everything about everything else about this motherboard has been completely reverse engineered and built with modern parts so you don't have to worry about leaky capacitors you don't have to worry about buzzing awful sound boards and you know bad power boards or anything like that so this is both an amazing project, but it's very respectfully not for everybody. So I'll talk about the awesome stuff first, because I am definitely a huge fan of this. But if you have a Game Gear, and maybe you have heard all of us talk about how all of the capacitors are leaking, and you don't want to kill your Game Gear, or maybe it's already dead, you could take, as long as you have at the moment, a single ASIC Game Gear. You could take those main chips and the other two part uh, two parts that I mentioned, off of those put them onto this and you've now saved your game gear that was otherwise unfixable so i think that's a really good thing at the same time if you have a game gear whose shell is all destroyed and beat up and the capacitors need to be replacing and it's basically junk you could now salvage the chip the cartridge slot and the link port on it as well so Overall, this is just an amazing project, and I want to see this hopefully done, you know, at some point for all of the Game Gear motherboard revisions and for as many... Original consoles as possible. Now, this is a huge undertaking. So, when I say that, I'm not trying to imply that the creator should go out and do all of this. I'm just saying, in general, I would love to see this done for all consoles because there's just so many advantages to something like this. And you could breathe new life into existing consoles while keeping it technically all original because you're still running off of the original chips. So, while I love software emulation and I love FPGA hardware emulation, there's something to be said for using original hardware as well. Now, the downsides, number one, you have to desolder all of your original stuff and you have to use an LCD screen. Now, it's my opinion that if you're looking to have a playable, modern-feeling Game Gear, you would want a modern IPS screen anyway, but this is a requirement when using this board. And one of the reasons that, if you see Tito talk about it in the video, this board has so many fewer components on it than the original, is because the creator just omitted all of the components that were needed for the original, very low-quality screen. So, at the moment, My suggestion to you would be this. If you have a Game Gear that's special to you that you want to restore. and a stupid example, but when I was a kid, I did have a Game Gear, but it had the bubble screen, and I always liked the flat screen better, and I always wanted a blue one, and I always wanted a blue one with the flat screen, but the blue ones only came in the bubble screens. So over the years, I was able to find an original, I think they called it Sports Edition, And I was able to get a glass flat screen for it. So it ended up exactly what I wanted as a kid. And I just kind of want that the way it is. So I had a friend restore it for me. I believe that one was done by Ben from iFix Retro. And now I have a perfectly original, you know, the only thing that you could say might not have been original is the, I replaced the plastic scratched front bubble screen with a nice glass flat screen, but it's all original and that's what I would suggest for anybody that wants this for archiving or for just having in their collection, is just stick with the original and rebuild them. And if your original's unfixable, get another one to rebuild. However, if you are into modding Game Gears, and especially if you have ones that are beat up, you could go find, at the moment, a single ASIC Game Gear That's destroyed, that you need a new case, you know, you need to recap it, you need everything else. And you go buy one of those really nice aftermarket cases, you buy this motherboard, you buy um, the LCD IPS screen, you put it all together and you have yourself a brand new Game Gear. So this project isn't for everybody, but I freaking love it and I hope to talk to the creator soon. Uh, And I think I'm pretty much gonna leave it at that because hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to the creator, but if not, I strongly recommend checking out Tito's video, because he demos it all, and it'll give you a really good perspective on what to expect from this, but this is very exciting to me. A demo was just released for a new Virtual Boy game called Elevated Speed, and in my opinion, this feels like what an official F-Zero game for the Virtual Boy would have felt like which is about as big of a compliment as I could possibly give it. I really enjoyed this one. And there's only one track available at the moment, but the track itself and the gameplay does feel very complete. There's enemy cars that that battle against you the same way you would expect in an F-Zero style game. The graphics and music are excellent. I really enjoyed both. And there's multiple soundtracks available as well. And the controls I liked. And that's the only thing that I think might be up for debate. However, first of all, it's a demo, so it's not finished, and second of all, that's an opinion that certainly isn't fact. Everybody could have their own opinion on what the controls are like, but for me, I couldn't really decide if I loved them because it felt like a hovercraft-style car on a track, or if I thought they were just a tiny bit too loose. I haven't really decided yet. I've only played for about 15 minutes. I just know that I really enjoyed the game, so I'm interested to see what the creator is going to do for the final version. If they left it exactly as is, I would have no complaints whatsoever. I just kind of wanted to share my opinion in case you decide to try it, and I highly recommend that you do. If you have the ability to play any ROM on an original Virtual Boy, that is definitely the best way to experience it, because much like the Vectrix, Vectrix and the Virtual Boy are two consoles that could never quite get the original experience through emulation, at least on a 2D display. I'm sure with uh, the modern VR helmets you could get very close, but there's just something different about seeing the game in 3D and seeing the tricks that the VUE engine uses to blend the different shades of red together that just doesn't translate as well to 2D on a monitor. Now, if you don't have the ability to play on an original Virtual Boy, i still recommend trying it out, but just keep that in mind, because it's very easy to overlook a game like this that was designed to be used on the Virtual Boy. But it is very cool, and I'm very pumped for the final version. I think whenever it is released, they're going to aim for things like link player support and a whole bunch of different options. So if you're a Virtual Boy fan, I would call this a must-try because it's free. And if you have the ability to play a ROM, that's free too. So thanks very much to the creator. Thanks very much to the VUE Engine team for making stuff like this possible. And I just really hope to see more cool things for the Virtual Boy because while... There are a lot of silly things about it, and while it does deserve a lot of the uh, you know a lot of the times people rip on it, I do think there's so many positive things about it. and if you play the right games the right way, it's a really enjoyable experience. Retrobit have just opened pre-orders on a GameCube component video cable. The price will be $60 plus shipping. It should ship sometime around April, but with a global part shortage, I would probably expect delays. and they claim to be fully shielded cables. Now, not many other details have been released, but I think it's pretty safe to assume a few things about it based on their Prism HDMI product. They're calling this the Prism Component Cable, so I could assume that like the Prism HDMI, it's going to have GC Video 3.0 or newer, and it should support all of the resolutions that the GameCube supports. So overall, it's really looking to be potentially an excellent solution for your GameCube if you're looking for component video output. Now, I do want to give some perspective on some use cases because this might not be for everybody. If you're a streamer that has no problem streaming in 480p or knows how to scale in OBS, which is very easy, you might want to do something like get the prism that they currently have, the HDMI version, and use an HDMI splitter and either have one go directly to your capture card and the other go into your monitor, or you could even use that splitter to have HDMI audio extraction to optical audio. You could send one of the splitters to an HDMI to component video cable, so you could use it there. You could use HDMI to VGA if you want to use a PC VGA monitor and also stream at the same time. And all of those options are there for you right now. You don't have to wait, but they're going to cost more money. So if you're somebody that wants multiple outputs and multiple options and all of the things that I just mentioned, I would suggest just doing that now. Get their HDMI version at 80 plus, you know, a handful of those converters and probably run you another 40 or 50 total. But you have all of those different output options and it should perform the same as these. However, if you're somebody that just has a whole bunch of component video cables in their setup, and you're just looking for component video out, you could absolutely pick up their HDMI prism, and I would also recommend the brace from RetroFrog to keep it steady, and an HDMI to component converter, and that would work pretty perfectly. But that's going to run you well over a hundred bucks, whereas these are sixty. So without testing them myself, I can only talk about use cases, er, use cases, and what Retrobit has said but they look like they're going to be a great option. And I'm comfortable giving both options because I think it's I always think it's very funny that when I say this product might not be for you, but the product that I do recommend is also from the same company. So, I have uh, you know, no ill will by saying if this, you know, this might not be for you, you might not want to wait for it, you might just want to get what they already have, but this might also be the perfect set thing for your setup. So, Skim through the post if you want some links and some uh, some more perspective, basically a written version of what I just said. And I'll keep everybody updated if I'm able to get a pre-production version to test. Uh, if anybody in the scene gets one, I would love to see Extrems get an early release set of this to give his opinions on it. But overall, I just, I think it's exciting. I'm really glad we have more solutions for this. And it looks like a nice compact, I mean, it just looks like the original Nintendo component cable for the GameCube but with RetroBit's name on it, so it's looking to be very promising and I'm hoping to check one out whenever they're released. The Japanese-only Sega Saturn game Bulk Slash has just gotten a full English localization, and I want to make sure I say this slowly because this is a very big deal. Not just an English translation a full localization. So all of the voice acting for all of the navigators in the game as well as the endings and everywhere there were Japanese voice actors have been re-recorded by fans of the game who worked on a team to localize it. So essentially a bunch of fans of the game Bulk Slash did what the company could have or maybe should have depending how you look at it done back in the 90s and created a true English language version of the game. Which is... Absolutely amazing. I don't remember anything of this scale other than the BS Zelda localization, which I keep uh, trying to peer pressure a certain long-haired CDI fan into making a documentary about that. But back to Bulk Slash, I was just blown away at the amount of work that went into this and how good it came out. And on top of that, they added support for the twin stick, which was the same stick that you would use for Virtualon, another mech fighting game. And I've only used those once a long time ago, and I just thought they were so cool. Like, what a weird and interesting and awesome way to experience a game like that. And the fact that the team added that in as well just makes this one of the biggest deals in translation I've seen in a while. And I'm certainly not trying to take away from anybody else's translation project. Those are all amazing, too but i really wanted to take the time to, to just talk about this one and to really impress upon everybody how big of a deal this actually is now if you would like the full story behind the game as well as the story about the translation and some demos i very strongly recommend watching the video that i embedded in this post from sega saturn shiro they have a series on this game so if you'd like to spend a full day watching stuff about the history of it and hearing from people that's cool too but at the very least i would recommend watching that and if you'd like to hear mark and Corey's thoughts my life in gaming did a live stream of it um and at the very least hit up the Sega Saturn Shiro link in the description here and go through and just kind of skim through their description of it and see what there is to offer for this. Because it's just, in my opinion, this one's a very, very big deal. And I just think that anybody who's interested in this style of game or just anybody who's interested in really cool stories about fan-made stuff for the video game world would really love this one. Um, I also just wanted to add a personal note at the end. When I first saw this pop up, actually one of the developers I'm buddies with mentioned this to me and I got excited, but I was traveling that week. I was trying to catch up with a bunch of other stuff and I absolutely refused to just skim through and do a one paragraph Bulk slash was translated to English. Here's the link. You know, I'm sure a lot of people would have preferred that because they could have gotten the info right away, but I just refused to do that. I thought it was way too big of a deal to, to undercut it like that. And I wanted to wait till I had time to watch the full Sega Saturn Shiro video to talk to a couple of the developers that worked on it and to really let this sink in and how big of a project this is. So while it's not a long post, it's just a three paragraph short one minute read, I'm really happy that I took the time to do that. I know a lot of people get really upset, which is actually good. That means there's a lot of passionate people in the retro gaming world that want to hear their favorite projects get talked about. And I love that. And I think that's awesome. But I'm also going to have to do this at my own pace. I'm one person and I refuse to just skip over something like this. So if you're one of the many people who are annoyed that I didn't get this out last week, um, you know, I, I'm not going to apologize this time because I wanted to take the time to get it right. And especially in the description here in the podcast, because same thing, if I had just skipped to the end and just said it was a translation, this wouldn't be a for four and a half minute segment. This would be a 30 second segment that skips over all of the importance of this. So please check out the project if you're interested in it. At the very least, either skim through the Sega Saturn Shiro post or their video, but I do think this is a big deal and I'm really glad I took the time to to write about it correctly and to talk about it here. So congrats to the team. Holy crap, what a good job. I recently interviewed Thomas Dady, the creator of an open source CRT chassis, and I think this project, when it is finished, is going to hit harder than a Volvo airbag to the face. Because this will give you the potential of taking any CRT within a very wide range of CRTs that's in decent condition, removing whatever electronics are in in there, putting this in its place. And not only do you get RGB inputs or potentially more if there's another board that's created, but you get more control over the image, you potentially get more resolution supported, you could get more TV line control. And just the scope of this project is so huge. Before I go any further, it is not ready yet. So Normally with something like this, I would probably message the developer, have a conversation, help if there's any way I could, and then swing back around to it, but I just thought this was too big a deal to skip over, and I would hope that most of the people listening would be understanding and that this might be something that takes a very long time to finish, but it will be worth the wait. Because the potential for what you could do with something like this is a, such a big deal and kind of limitless. So anything from, I have an arcade machine that somebody put the wrong chassis in, my chassis is old, it looks like crap, I get that pulsing on it. You could just take that out, put this when it's finished in its place, and have the ability to tweak it and control it in however way that you would like. And it could go all the way up to somebody might be able to take this open source project and take the most popular model CRT that's still available and just make a replacement board for it, which is nuts to think about. But you could totally do that with the right knowledge and if you have the ability to fork the project and do this yourself. So Honestly, I I just, I don't want to uh, say anything more because I think Thomas just did an amazing job explaining everything. And In fact, a lot of the things that he talked about in this interview, I've never heard anybody explain it that way. And just having the conversation, I walked away with an even deeper knowledge of a lot of the things that we talked about that I had coming into this. And uh, I'm certainly not nearly on the level that he is, but I thought I was pretty confident in my CRT knowledge. And I walked away feeling like I just... Like I just graduated from a CRT course that Thomas taught, so that taught Thomas taught, not caught, but yeah. So if um if you're into CRT stuff at all, even a little bit, definitely give this one a chance because this project is going to be huge if he's able to complete it. I've already reached out to a few people that I know have the knowledge to potentially help, and I would love to see this done, but it's going to be a while. My guess. I mean, I've said that before, and projects have been done in a week, but. I think it would be fair to just go into this interview knowing that it could be a long time before we see it, but it's going to be worth the wait. And as always, these podcasts are available on all audio only podcast services, as well as a video. Listen to it or watch it any way that's easiest for you. I mean this respectfully. I don't care how you get it as long as you're able to enjoy the content and you like what we talk about. So wherever it is that you get podcasts, wherever it is that you watch videos, it should be available there. Uh, And if you'd like to check out more on the project, the links to Thomas's GitHub and Twitter account are right there as well. So this one was really awesome and uh, I'm hoping to see a lot come from it. Next up, there is a new firmware that was just released for the RetroTINK 5X that adds a fully functional on-screen display and a bunch of very awesome controls. I think the firmware was released because in order to schedule the live stream for this i had to record this weekly roundup before i did the live stream so i'm assuming that everything went smoothly and it wasn't a total disaster and there was actually a firmware release for this Uh, but i just figured i would be honest with everybody i'd rather not lie and fake it through i would rather just tell the truth and say i've loaded the new firmware on here i've taken a very quick look and i loved it but i didn't really go anything into scrolling through some menus very quickly without even having a console plugged in cuz i wanted uh, i wanted it to be fresh when i did it live I wanted to go through it with Mike to figure out all of the cool things he added. So um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate Mike giving me the opportunity to do that with him. I love working with Mike. Um, It's always a blast and I think we have fun doing this stuff. So hopefully the live stream came out okay. But if you'd like any more info, my plan is that after the live stream is over to do a post with some screenshots and some stuff that we learned in the live stream as well as the live stream. That way if you don't have that much time, you could just scroll through the post, see some of the most notable features. And if you do have time, you could go back and rewatch the live stream and get all of the gritty details and hopefully have a lot of questions uh, from people in the chat and really dig into this new firmware and all the new functionality. So uh, thanks to all of you who may have already seen the live stream before watching this. And of course, thanks to Mike for doing it with me. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody who supports in any way because it is you who is keeping these podcasts, the -the behind-the-scenes research, the website, and all of the crazy stuff I'm involved in going. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.